Hey everybody, welcome to a very special edition of the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Greg, and today we're taking the Single Tracks Podcast on the road to Gunnison, Colorado. Here in Gunnison, I met up with Dave Weens, who was just hired as the Executive Director of IMBA in February 2017. We met up a few hours ago for a quick ride at Hartman's Rock, and I had the dubious pleasure of chasing the wheel of one of the fastest racers in the world. And I was going to say failing miserably, but uh, Dave definitely throttled back to let me keep up. So thanks for that, Dave. Appreciate that. In case you aren't familiar, let me catch you up on who Dave Weens is. For one, he's in the Mountain Bike Hall of Fame, having been inducted in the year 2000. Dave was the U.S. National Cross Country Champion in 1993 and the U.S. National Marathon Champion in 04. In the advocacy realm, Dave founded Gunnison Trails in 06, which has had a major impact on mountain bike access in trail building in the Gunnison Valley. However, Dave might be best known for winning the Leadville 100 every year from 2003 to 2008, six times in a row, including beating Floyd Landis in 07 and Lance Armstrong in 08. And in 2009, he finished in second place to Lance Armstrong. So Dave, this is a question I've actually been wanting to ask you for a while now. Does that mean you actually won Leadville seven years in a row and not six? No, just six. You can check the, uh, the Leadville record book. <laughs> right on. Uh, so what else are you known for that I haven't touched on already? You've had a, a very storied career. Oh, I guess um, that's what I'm known for around here. I'm known, uh, I guess, as dad and, and uh, husband. And I've lived in Gunnison for a long time. But uh, certainly the, the, the mountain biking thing follows me around. And I was just very fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, rode, have ridden bikes all my life. Grew up riding bikes around the, the suburban Denver area. Uh, it was my freedom. It was my way to get out and, and explore. And uh, when the mountain biking thing came along and happened to be going to school up here in Gunnison, where certainly a lot of mountain biking was happening early on, jumped aboard and, and uh, never really looked back. So I feel really fortunate to have been uh, involved in the sport from a, a pretty early time. Yeah, I mean, Dave has been riding mountain bikes longer than I've been alive. So a lot to learn right here. Maybe that's just pegging my age. I don't know. But the main reason we're chatting today is to catch up about Dave's most recent role as a new executive director of IMBA. Uh, Dave joins IMBA at what's possibly a tumultuous time with uh, IMBA having lost their Subaru sponsorship in 2016. Uh, Mike Van Abel resigned as the executive director towards the end of 2016, uh, rather August, and several staff positions having been eliminated at the regional and national levels. However, that's accompanied a big uh, a change in the organization and a big transition. So, Dave, this might be a loaded question, but how have the first few months in your new job gone? <laughs> There's no doubt they've they've been challenging, and it isn't uh, as if I pondered being the executive director of EMBA for a long time, and then suddenly it, it happened for me, and I was able to, you know, have, have thought about it. So it was it was very quick. I never uh, I never joined the board of directors, which is my initial, I guess, foray into the the IMBA world. The IMBA board invited four people to participate in strategic planning in June of 2015, and, and they invited me to be one of those four. So that was really my first time I was exposed to the staff and the IMBA board of directors, and it was a it was a, a a good experience and I'm very interested in advocacy and, and it was, it was, I was honored to be invited and made the trek up to park city and participated in that and, and offered uh, my experience and my viewpoint from, you know, from riding mountain bikes for a long time and also being involved in advocacy in this part of the world. Then conversations continued and, and uh, I was invited to join the board of directors uh, beginning in 2016 and I accepted that position and I certainly never had any intention of, of leading. I just thought that I could, you know, help in the conversation. Uh, anytime there's a board, it's a, a large group, and and um, there's decisions that are made. There's discussions that happen. The staff is involved, and I just wanted to be a part of that. And uh, anytime, at least for me, when I get on a board, I, I don't just enter that board. You know, the term limit for an IMBA board member is nine years, and that's a pretty long run if you were to to take your your term to its to its extent. So that gives you a year or two to get your feet under you to learn uh, the different issues and, and you know be exposed to the players. And that's certainly the position that I was in. Board meeting in February, another board meeting in June. Then that's when uh, the changes really started to happen. We were told about the, the loss of the Subaru sponsorship in June. Uh, Mike Van Abel resigned um, shortly after that. Board meeting in November, and that's uh, when I became board chair. 
And I even, you know, resisted that due to lack of experience in a position like that, but embraced that role. I started working closely with staff right away, November, December, January. And then um, the, the, the switch to executive director came at our February board meeting. But uh, no, the last couple months have been exciting and, and scary and, and all those things because it's, it's much different than leading a small organization like Gunnison Trails. There's certainly parallels that, that we can draw and that I can learn from, but advocacy in Gunnison, Colorado certainly doesn't define advocacy across the nation. So I'm, uh, you know, drinking out of a fire hose has been, uh, you know, a term used to describe what it's like, and I'm still doing that. And, and I'm going to be, uh, because I believe that that's, that's the way we should always be. We should always be learning as we go. And, um, you know, with 200 plus chapters and, and mountain bikers all across this country, uh, which doesn't even speak to the eye in the International Mountain Biking Association. There's a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, no two places are the same. There's a lot of different impacts and, and regional nuances. And and uh, just the sport is, isn't the same everywhere you go. So it's a big challenge. So that's I'm still in the middle of, of that, getting up to speed and learning and um, just trying to, you know, help guide the organization in the most positive direction I can. It sounds like a massive role. And uh, thanks for taking it on. So here's maybe a very basic question, and which we were discussing at a, a staff meeting recently. So many nonprofit organizations have a board, um, but the board bas- basically functions as a fundraising entity. And some others have a board of advisors that sort of direct the flow of the organization. Which is the IMBA board, or is it a combination of the two? The IMBA board would be a combination of the two. There's certainly a fundraising um, component of being on the board. Uh, but in addition, the, it's it's all mountain bikers that are on the board. They come from a, a variety of backgrounds. Some are just enthusiasts that have um, you know business backgrounds. Others come from the bicycle industry. But overall, uh, it's a, a fairly balanced board, and uh, the, it, it would be a combination of what you described. Right on. So before we jump into a ton of questions, uh, do you just want to share with us sort of your vision for all of us being mountain bikers and starting from there first? Sure. You know, one of the reasons I was interested in joining the board in 2016 is because, you know, it wasn't that long ago and, and I saw the wilderness issue and I saw the e-bike issue and it felt to me like it were, it was really dividing mountain bikers. And I don't think that that's a, a healthy way for a community to be. So that was really the, the reason, uh, you know, a couple of the reasons that I wanted to be involved in the conversation. And it certainly uh, wasn't that I had any solutions uh, <laughs> to either of those those topics, but I thought that I could at least contribute to the conversation. And at this point, you know, nothing has really changed. Those those two topics are are very divisive. They're very prominent. They're front and center in a lot of discussions that that mountain bikers are having. And what I'd like to do is is drop down, if you will, from those uh, those tough questions. And I just feel like if, if we could unite as mountain bikers first, if we could all come together and agree that we love this sport and we love mountain biking and all of its different iterations, and I think that's really important too. When I first started, there was pretty much cross-country riding, and then there was a little bit of downhill, and it came on. And, and since then, mountain biking's gone off in a lot of different directions, some of them very specialized and and um specific, but all of them are good. And all of us, we have our favorite kinds of riding. Some of us, you know, do more kinds of riding uh, in, in different areas, but we're all basically into riding our bikes and pedaling our bikes in, you know, rocks and dirt and roots. And if we can just feel that on the most basic level, whether it's, you know, a, a talented rider who's been riding for years and, you know, loves the, the super challenging terrain or, you know, someone maybe my age who just got his first mountain bike and, you know, barely can even ride it, but just has a huge grin on his face, uh, right down to children and women and, and, you know, the whole spectrum. If we could all just agree that we're mountain bikers first and unite around that, then as we start to go up to, to more, more challenging and, and more difficult and more controversial decisions, we're going to, we're going to diverge and we're going to disagree. Uh, we're not going to get everybody on the same page on the wilderness. We're not going to get everybody on the same page on e-bikes. But can we, if we could just all fall back to, hey, we're mountain bikers and we need to be united so that we are a stronger group. And we're not a huge group anyway. If you look at, you know, IMBA is the one group that, that, that gathers the most mountain bikers together. And if we're in that, 
that 30,000 plus or minus range, we're not, you know, a huge population or a huge block that has that much influence. If we can unite and grow that, then we do become more of an influence on some on some big decisions that could be taking place. So that's really, you know, what I'm working toward and something that I hope for is that, you know, hey, let's be mountain bikers first. Let's agree on that. And then we can start, you know, talking about the tougher discussions. But let's always come back down to that that base level and, and um, you know, be brothers and sisters on that level. So once we agree we're mountain bikers, we're still going to ask Dave some tough questions. Partially because, you know, I surveyed you guys, our readers and listeners, via social media and the single tracks forums. Uh, and I'm going to rely heavily on your own questions for this interview because you guys have a lot of questions for Imba. And I think there are a lot of things out there that it's going to be great to talk about. So, Dave, hopefully you can still answer some questions on e-bikes. So to begin, Single Tracks member Zoso asks, what exactly is your stance and plan for e-bikes in America? Rather, that's America with a, a apostrophe. By that, I take him to mean, does Zimba intend to advocate either for or against e-bikes? Like, do you have, does Zimba have a position currently on, on e-bikes? We do have a, a current position on e-bikes, and it was uh, a position that was created sometime in 2015. And there's been a lot of discussion around updating that position. And it's something that um, we may accomplish at a board meeting coming up in June. But that position, our current position, is that uh, e-mountain bikes are motorized and they should be um, treated as a motor vehicle, which is directly in line with current BLM and Forest Service, the way they treat e-bikes. They just treat them as a motorized vehicle and they're managed as such. Now, today, uh, you and I rode out at Hartman Rocks, and Hartman Rocks is open to motorized, and it's phenomenal mountain biking, and Hartman Rocks is not unique. There's a lot of places around the country where uh, e-bikes are perfectly acceptable and, uh, and legal to ride, but it's certainly a hot topic, and uh, there's a lot of people. Uh, we hear that there are a lot of e-mountain bikes um, coming, and I don't know that we've really realized the, the big numbers that, that perhaps the industry expects to see, if it's happened yet, if it's going to happen. In Europe, uh, we hear about a lot of, of e-mountain bike use over there. So it's certainly something that we need to be aware of because uh, to the casual person that sees an e-mountain bike or a mountain bike go by, they're, they're not really going to know the difference. You have to uh, you know have at least a, a trained eye to pick out the e-bike. But what we're concerned about, obviously, is... We've worked really hard for access to trails in a lot of places around the country and have had to, you know, you've taken years and years to earn some of the, the access that we now have. And what we don't want to do is jeopardize current mountain bike access because of e-bike use. So we want to be very careful with that. And certainly, I don't believe Emba will ever come out and make a position stating that they, are, they either think that e-bikes allow or, you know, should be allowed on non-motorized trails or not allowed on all non-motorized trails. It's really going to be a discussion that needs to happen locally because every every locale has their own their own situation, their own details, and it, it should be a local decision. So local land managers, local mountain bike bikers and other stakeholders need to to you know get into a room and, and, and see what the situation is. And there are I believe there are places in the country where e-mountain bikes on non-motorized trails are going to be acceptable in other places where they're not. As far as, you know, Imba's position on that right now, again, you know, we're considering them motorized vehicles, but uh, we're going to take a look at that. I know there's a lot of, of, of arguments for e-bikes as well. You know, older riders, uh, some riders with physical disabilities, more access to the sport. Uh, people might start e-mountain biking because it's uh, it's a little easier a little more accessible to them, and then, then they may start uh, pedaling a traditional mountain bike. So there's a lot of positives to, to e-mountain bikes for sure. And of course, uh, I think we all think that the the e-bike for commuting and, and transportation and getting people out of cars is is a real positive uh, of, of e-bikes as well. But certainly there's, there's some potential um, things that we want to be careful of. And I think that's where IMBA is right now, is, is we're just being cautious with e-mountain bikes. So I attended the e-bike panel Interbike a couple of years ago where Imba and Bosch released preliminary findings from your environmental study. Um, and Bosch was a sponsor on that study. And to 
paraphrase uh, possibly a couple of incendiary questions, we got into something less so. The general question from a few of our readers is, can Imba be bought by a sponsor? Because uh, you know, due to losing Subaru, it looks like Imba's looking for money. Can they be bought by a company like Bosch, and will that affect your policy, or how do sponsorships influence the decisions you make? Speaking as the executive director, Imba is not going to be bought by a sponsor in any way. We want partners or sponsors that want to uh, support us because of the work that we do. And uh, that's, uh, that's part of, of the way that I'm going to lead, and that's part of who I am. And I think that we can create an Imba that where we have uh, you know partners lining up to support the work that we're doing on the ground because of the work that we're doing on the ground. Excellent. I think that puts that to bed. Uh, the next general topic deals with wilderness access issues for mountain biking and specifically the Sustainable Trails Coalition. So this next question comes from longtime Single Tracks member and contributor John Fish. And he asks, uh, why do you not include reasonable bike access in wilderness as part of your advocacy? And then he goes on to say, why do you continue to not only support not support, uh, but rather actively attempt to thwart this. And I think his question might deal a little bit with uh, Luther Props' uh, comments in an article recently published who is an IMBA board member. So that might be a long question, but can you speak to that at all? Yeah, yeah there, there's, a, there's a lot in there for sure. I guess uh, IMBA is focused on mountain biking in a lot of places. So I believe in the in the U.S., the wilderness makes up two percent of the the total land. That includes everything in the in the lower forty eight. So Imba focuses on the other you know ninety six ninety eight percent of the lands, and we've done a, you know an admirable job over the years. I think of of gaining access and um, you know working towards trails. There's never been more better places to ride mountain bikes than right now. So the wilderness uh, has never been a priority for us. It's certainly something that's been on the, I mean, people have been talking about riding bikes in the wilderness since, since day one in mountain biking. There's no doubt about that. But since IMBA is an organization that deals with, you know, a myriad of, of different topics and issues as opposed to the STC, which really only works on one, one particular topic, it doesn't rise uh, to the top of, of what we do. And we're, we're working in a lot of different directions. So it's just another, uh, you know, another topic that comes up often and, and everybody has an opinion on it. There's no doubt about that. But we really focus on the areas that are out of wilderness. And then on the wilderness topic in, in particular, we have a different approach, a different strategy than the STC. And uh, it's working uh, it's working the edges. It's, it's trying to be involved in the wilderness proposals as they happen. And I know right now this has nothing to do with my role at IMBA. This has to do with my role at Gunnison Trails. For the last four years, I've been part of the Gunnison Public Lands Initiative. And it's a collection of mountain bikers, sportsmen, which are, which are the hunters, uh, the winter, winter motorized, summer motorized, quiet winter sports. Uh, it's got just this great collection of stakeholders for the public lands, and we're going through Gunnison County, and this is a, a piece of legislation that, that our Senator, Senator Michael Bennett, is hoping to create and um, get, into, get into the pipeline, where we went through the entire basin and we looked at land designations. We're not looking at trails, we're looking at land designations, and we're trying to decide, okay, is this appropriate for wilderness? And maybe the motos or the mountain bikers said, no, we, we've actually got some trails in here. Or in the future, we hope to develop some trails in there. So we need to see uh, a different level of protection on that. Uh, and in those areas, we're looking at special management areas or some other sort of, of, of protection that would allow for other uses. And that those uses could be motorized or they could be just mountain biking. So I think the point there is that IMBA only has so many resources to, to jump around the country, and they certainly don't have local knowledge. And this even came up in our process where suddenly we were talking about land down around Lake City, which is southwest of here uh, by about 50 miles, and nobody in the room knew that area. And none of us felt comfortable trying to say, hey, we think that that's fine for wilderness down there because, you know, I don't ride my bike there, but we didn't know a thing about it. That local knowledge is so important, and that's what we're trying to do uh, at IMBA and we'll do you know, more of in the future is, is work with our locals who know the landscape. They know the trails. They know the areas where they might want future trails to be. 
And if we can be, you know, if we can assist with those conversations and be a part of it, then that's what we're trying to do. And part of that too is even redrawing some wilderness boundaries so that we can maybe capture some some trails that are just inside wilderness, or maybe they just dodge into wilderness just enough to where uh, we're not able to use that trail any longer. So we have a, a much different strategy than what the STC is trying to do. I know Ted Stroll. I've talked to Jackson Radcliffe on the phone. I've talked to, um, you know, Kurt, can't even pronounce his last name, the angry sing- single speeder. These are passionate mountain bikers. They're, they're, they're no different than us. And uh, I have nothing but respect for, for these guys and, and the passion they have for the sport and what they're trying to do. Just that IMBA has a different, uh, a different mission and a different strategy when it comes to wilderness. Did I get it all? I think so. I think the next sort of uh, part of that question, which uh, Edward Ray's mentioned explicitly, he said, yeah, so I think we understand that IMBA and the SEC have very different sort of um, missions and they're doing different things and they're trying to accomplish things a different way. But uh, last year, you guys released a joint statement saying that, you know, despite the fact you might not be working together to accomplish these aims, you know, you were just going to let each other go your separate way. But uh, within the past few months, it hasn't sounded that way, at least to a lot of people listening. So Edward Ray says, why did you spend time and resources opposing the STC while publicly stating you supported the STC, which I'm not entirely sure if that's correct. And why did you continue to oppose the STC when IMBA members overwhelmingly approved of the STC? First, can you fact check that? <laughs> and second, uh, respond to it. Yeah, no, the, the I don't. The IMBA members have never been asked specifically about the STC, to my knowledge. So I, I don't I don't know that there's any anything to, to answer there. And also going back to us, you know, we're not working to undermine the STC, to my knowledge. Now, Luther Probst, our board member, was quoted in the Jackson Hole News talking about the, the bill. He never mentioned the words STC. The words STC were never in there. Granted, it was their bill. And, and Luther, he's just passionate about public lands. And that's certainly a concern that people have is that, the, the especially with our new administration, that the public lands are in jeopardy right now. And, you know, some people think of, gee, I don't even want to think about bikes in the wilderness. Well, I want to think about saving, you know, the BLM lands, for example, are, are ones that seem high on the on the block as far as being privatized and, and maybe sold off to the highest bidders. And I guarantee you the states will not be the highest bidders. The, uh, the extraction companies and the oil, ga- oil and gas folks will be the highest bidders. And we're talking about places uh, like Moab, and Hartman Rocks, where we rode today, all the riding around Grand Junction, that's all BLM. There's a lot of great riding on BLM lands. Sandy Ridge up in Oregon, that's a, that's a huge concern. And I think that, that a lot of advocates have pivoted, uh, at least for now, away from, from wilderness because there's you know, some more dire things potentially coming down the pike. I mean, the, the Chavitz had released a bill that had a bunch of, of public land in it that was up for sale, including 300 acres right here in Gunnison County. I never could find out where those 300 acres were. So there's a lot rolled up into that. But to my knowledge, IMBA is not uh, purposefully spending time or resources trying to undermine the work of the STC. It just isn't true uh, unless there's some secret thing going on. I don't think there is. I know the, I know the organization pretty well. Uh, we don't outwardly support it. But, uh, you know, that's that's the extent of it. Thank you for clarifying that, Dave. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about IMBA's involvement in the Outdoor Alliance? We're just chatting uh, at lunch about this a little bit. And I think that it could be an interesting topic that maybe many mountain bikers aren't aware of. Yeah, and, and I'm just uh, becoming more knowledgeable about this, too. However many years ago, maybe it was five or six, a group formed called the Outdoor Alliance. And those, um, those founding members were IMBA, uh, the Access Fund, which is Climbers, Winter Wildlands, which is winter uh, quiet use, uh, backcountry skiing and, and whatnot, American Whitewater Association and American Canoe and Kayak Association. So the human powered, quiet, you know, outdoor, you know, mountainy type sports came together. I think it was an, a, sort of a, an adjunct to Outdoor Industry Alliance or Outdoor Industry Association, I should say. So it was instead of the, the industry, it was more the advocacy organizations coming together. And as a board, as the ED of IMBA, that puts me as a, a board of directors, uh, a board of director on that, uh, the OA board, the Outdoor Alliance board. So I went to my first board meeting uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, a little over a week ago. And, um, you know, that was an interesting experience. And right now we're very 
interested in what's happening in Washington as far as, you know, the, the way that the, the BLM seems like they've completely changed, how much funding BLM Forest Service are going to get, some of the, the rolling back in the, the EPA and other areas. It seems like, uh, you know, there's an, an all-out assault on public lands right now and rivers and climbing areas and mountain biking and backcountry skiing. Public lands are central to all those activities, and I'm sure they're central to the listeners uh, of this podcast. And I know that that I know I live in a place that's surrounded by public lands. And if I had to rank the the things that are important in my life, I think it would be you know my family and my friends, and then public lands would be right up there in the top five uh, because that's where I mountain bike, that's where I ski, that's where I do all the things. And uh, you know, there's so many passionate people out there that that love those activities and to to start to hear about rolling back of the protections of public lands is really frightening to a lot of us. And, and here's, a, here's something that we can unite on. And, and uh, you know, we had a meeting here. And again, this isn't them, but this is Gunnison Trails. But uh, we have a new trail proposal. We were in a meeting and we were in a room that was 50-50 in support of a new trail system and, and 50% against this new trail system. And it was primarily hunters. They were concerned about wildlife issues. And uh, we feel like we had dotted our I's and crossed our T's on the wildlife, having seasonal closures. And it was mainly big game winter range. But what struck me was this, this room that was completely divided. If the topic had been public lands heist, we would have been united. We would have been holding hands and singing Kumbaya. Uh, so it's interesting that that some of these issues are going to be bringing, you know, some sort of strange bedfellows together uh, because together we're going to be a lot stronger. And so mountain bikers are a, t- a small part of that. But as, if, as this thing talks about public lands and and protecting our, our you know, our public spaces, it is going to be really important to, you know, to unite and reach out to other communities, including the motorized community. I mean, uh, I know a lot of, of moto riders up here and, and they love the, the mountains and the trails for the same reason the mountain bikers do. Uh, they, they uh, you know, they travel with a different mode and, and, you know, sure they're, they're noisy and they're loud, but there's a lot of trails up here in the Gunnison Valley that are open to motos. And, and those guys love the public lands and the wide open spaces and the views just as much as we do. They just choose to experience them in a different way. So, you know, that's another part of it is, is just sort of, you know, expanding our vision a little bit. And it takes something like a, a new administration with some different values uh, to come into power to really open a lot of our eyes to, um, wow, maybe, you know, <laughs> there are some possibilities here to, to, to get with some of these other user groups and, and form some, some alliances. So it's, uh, it's an important time for, for us all to, to pay attention and, and uh, you know, to come together, I feel. So now I'm going off script, so bear with me, guys. But uh, Dave, can you give us just a brief overview of the advocacy work that IMBA itself does in Washington? Because I feel like a lot of people might not really be aware of exactly like what things you guys do. Well, and, um, you know, truth be told, I've been on the job two months. And, and when I went to Washington, I, I certainly didn't do any advocacy work there. It was a meeting uh, and, and or a couple meetings. and, and uh, But we've got, you know, our advocacy um, staff right now is, is Aaron Clark. And he's, uh, he's the, the main guy that would do any of the work uh, that takes place in, in D.C. or in other areas. But really, it's it's you know trying to get those relationships with the the Forest Service and the BLM, and it, it does include you know having relationships in the cons- conservation world. And if it's something I learned around here, uh, you know, doing local advocacy is you want to have good relationships everywhere you go. And some of those people are going to be um, you know allies of what you're trying to do. Some people are going to be neutral, and some people are going to be foes. But having those relationships is really key in being able to contact those people and hopefully have a civil conversation. And uh, you know, I wish I could tell you exactly what we're doing, but I don't have that that you know that download and that knowledge in my head. Uh, I know we've got a spreadsheet that's mind-boggling of the things that we're working on. Uh, all across the country. Certainly some of those decisions are made in Washington, but, you know, uh, lots more of them are, are you know, the, the important aspects of them happen locally as well. There's a, a wilderness proposal right now in the San Gabriel Mountains uh, near Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, that's, that bill would be signed in Washington, but a lot of what actually happens out there will, will happen locally. So it's, it's certainly uh, our goal with EMBA to, to strengthen everything we do at the national level because, Advocacy has changed in the last 30 years. Local organizations have never been stronger. So where IMBA may have had um, a larger role in helping local advocates, you know, 
five, 10, 15 years ago, local organizations, our chapters, there, there are non-affiliated organizations and there are clubs are you know more effective than they've ever been. And it doesn't, I don't think it's the wisest use of our resources to continue to try to uh, help organizations do what they can already do well. Granted, there are some clubs that still need the basics, but even the network of, of chapters and clubs uh, that is out there, I think we can take advantage of those to help raise the, the effectiveness of all of the clubs. So it just makes sense that IMBA needs to really get involved nationally. And we're looking at, uh, at redefining uh, you know, how we look at our access and policy and our government relations. So just like every other part of IMBA, that part of it is essentially under the microscope and, and open to review and open to revision and change. So my goals are that we be as effective as we can with what we do in Washington and at the national level. Are we there right now? No. Can we get there? Absolutely. And uh, it's, it's certainly one of the, the primary pillars of IMBA is, is national level advocacy and being you know, an effective and strong voice. And a big part of that is, is how many people we come to the table with, uh, you know, cause that's the first question we'll, we'll, we'll be asked is, well, who do you represent? Well, we represent the mountain bikers. Well, how many do you represent? What's your membership? Uh, and if we, we say 30,000, you know, we might get a little nod, but if we say 60,000, 90,000, 150,000, you know, that, that changes the, those are game changers and uh, something that, that we should look towards. So, uh, certainly a goal of ours to, to try to become relevant to mountain bikers to where they, they see that we're doing great work in that landscape and, and support what we're doing. But uh, are we there now? No. Are we going to get there? Absolutely. Thanks for rolling with that as I uh, sprung that on you. But I think that transitions great into sort of our next topic, which is the new and improved Chapter 3.0 program. So one of our readers, Rob Earn, asked, would you be willing to rethink the 60-40 split of membership fees from chat with chapters based on our club's discussion of this 60% imba takes is excessive more of the money should stay local or at least regional this and the lack of good insurance offered are the main reasons our large club has repeatedly voted against becoming a chapter however apparently rob hasn't read our most recent article about the chapter 3.0 program which in which the split will change to 50-50 so my question is though uh dave do you think changing the split to 50-50 is putting enough money back in the pockets of the clubs uh, to put these monetary concerns to rest? Well, given that there are over 200 chapters, I think there are going to be some clubs that are going to, and we've already heard it, you know, hey, this is great. You know, we, we like that. Um, and we've heard some clubs say that they, they would like to see more. In my mind, the whole chapter program is something that I'd like to see evolve over time. It's, it's something that was created six or seven years ago out of, out of just, you know, clubs that existed and they, uh, they, they created the revenue split and the revenue share with, with these chapters. You had to come on as a chapter to, to participate in it. And it operated and grew to the point that it's at now. And it was, uh, it was rolling along. And of course, you know, whenever you have 200 plus chapters all around the country, there's probably going to be varying levels of satisfaction. I think you had some, some chapters that were, you know, absolutely satisfied and maybe some that, that were less so. But then when, when we lost the Subaru sponsorship, that just, you know, sent the whole chapter program into a bit of a, a spiral because, you know, IMBA has to subsidize that program. It doesn't pay for itself. Uh, which is, and it's not unusual. Nonprofits, we've, we fundraise uh, all the time to run programs that, that if they are revenue producing programs, they don't necessarily cover their costs. So we were prepared to that, but it was, it was too big of a hit with Subaru. And, and additionally, the money was there, but, but then our RDs and our ARDs, which is a talented, talented, you know, pool of, of staff that we had around the country. Uh, and unfortunately, you know, we had to let quite a few of them go. Uh, in the downsizing and the cost-cutting measures that, that took place, but they also had Subarus to drive around, and so they, they were accessible and they could get to chapters and and they could move around pretty pretty freely. And all that Imba really had to do was uh, make sure the cars were insured and that, that they could put gas in the gas tanks and that we were doing maintenance on them. So uh, we lost the money, we lost uh, our transportation, and it was a big hit to the program. So that's uh, what started people really questioning it. And, and this is where we're at now. My thoughts are we've got, you know, 200 plus chapters. We've got a ton of members. You know, we have a lot of chapters that are supportive. Certainly a few have left and, um, you know, maybe some more are planning to. And I think this question related to a club that isn't a chapter yet, but maybe was considering it. 
And um, I would just, just like everything else at IMBA, I want to, I want to look at this. I want to, I want it to be as effective as it can be. Uh, it's a challenge to try to, we can't have a one size fits all because there's never any way that one size will fit all with mountain biking when you've got California and Montana and Idaho, you know, very concerned about wilderness uh, and, and wilderness study areas and recommended wilderness topics like that. You've got the Midwest uh, where there really is very little to no BLM or Forest Service lands and they're really interested in community trail systems. Likewise, Texas has its own issues, the Northeast, the Mid-Atlantic. One size fits all just doesn't work. So we need to find the way that IMBA can be as valuable and, and relevant and effective to our chapters. And, you know, the revenue split is something that, that uh, you know, for now it's it's 50-50. And, and we'll see what it is in the future because I know firsthand from running Gunnison Trails how important it is for local organizations to have funds to try to do uh, what they need to do. Likewise, the national organization uh, needs to be funded to, to do what it wants to do. But one thing that we've done with IMBA, I mean, we've, we've, we've had some, some staff reductions recently, and I guess those have been portrayed in different ways uh, as they happened. But my vision for IMBA, the, the home base or the, you know, the, ad, the administrative part of IMBA, is that it's very lean and it supports our advocacy in the field. And we need to, we're working toward that. We're, we're downsizing uh, or right-sizing it, as it were. And that, to me, is going to be very important that we remain a very lean home office and focused on what we're getting done out in the field. And that's where chapters come in. Uh, that's where clubs come in and even local organizations. Those are the people. Those are the advocates. Those are the mountain bikers that are doing the great work. And we need to find out what is our perfect formula to support that work. And it certainly takes money, as we know, you know, the, tr the professional trail building industry right now, and a lot of trails are being professionally built either by trail solutions or, you know, there's tons of other very good, um, I call them craft builders. These are the, the professional companies like trail solutions. They specialize in mountain bike trails. They're building just amazing trails out there, but they're not cheap. They're they're $20,000 a mile and up. So it takes a lot of money to put great mountain biking on the ground. And, you know, hopefully IMBA can be part of finding those funds and helping clubs find those funds. Because in the big picture, the, it really isn't that expensive to put trails on the ground, especially, you know, considering the value that communities receive from those trails. You build a golf course or a rec center or a swimming pool or a skate park, uh, you know, the trail amenity is, is right up there at the top of the list. And, and I don't know how many community surveys I've seen where they ask, what's the amenity that most of the people are looking for? And it's always trails. And it doesn't always mean, you know, single track flow trails or gnarly mountain bike trails. It means, you know, big, wide concrete trails and all kinds of trails. But anyway, trails are important to communities and more and more communities are coming around to, hey, we've got a swimming pool. We've got a skate park. We need a trail system. So we need to help local organizations and communities find the, the funds and the funding mechanisms to put those great experiences on the ground. Uh, it's, it's definitely something that, that we have in mountain biking that's unique, um, not just to our activity, but, but certainly to some, that the physical plant that we need to put on the ground costs quite a bit of money. So that's part of what IMBA can, can help with, and, and uh, it's an important part of what we do. Right now, it's a 50-50 split with our chapters and, and a certain amount of support. We only want to improve that in the future, uh, you know, whatever direction that takes. We want to be as valuable as we can to those local organizations. Great. So we've talked a lot about sort of where IMBA is going and the numbers of people supporting IMBA and people being mountain bikers first. Um, so the next question really has to do with the future and where IMBA is going from here. And Jeff on Trails, a single tracks member, said, if IMBA is going to continue being the most recognizable advocacy name in mountain biking, what are the possible strategies for growing the IMBA member base from 15,000 to 50,000? I think 15 is low, actually, by like double. But Jeff goes on to make a good point. He says, out of roughly 8 million mountain bikers in the USA, which is, is the best, most accurate number that we have for mountain biking in the U.S., and if those strategies successfully doubled or quadrupled current membership over the next 5 to 10 years or so, what tangible benefits will all members possibly see from the added revenue and staff? So, and I think that mainly speaks to what's IMBA going to do to, to get more mountain bikers to identify with them? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's a big challenge. 
One of the, the challenges that I see is that there's no requirement to join anything to go mountain biking, and nor is there a fee to mountain bike in most places. So it's something that's free. Trails are free. Obviously, the equipment costs money, but if you have a bike and and uh, you know a helmet maybe and some gloves, you can go mountain biking. You don't have to join Emba. Uh, of those eight million mountain bikers, it would be interesting to know how many how many of them are aware of Emba. And I know we could do a better job with marketing, and we plan to do that in the nonprofit world. And I think this is maybe um, where Emba uh, may have been uh, before I took over. Is that as a nonprofit, you want to have uh, as much of your uh, resources put into mission as possible, and mission is doing good work on the ground. It's not necessarily you know buying ads or um, you know hiring people to do social media, uh, basically spending money. But it is important to tell the stories so that people know what we're doing, and the the marketing piece is very important. And there's no way that we're going to grow membership without marketing. So we're going to have to um, you know put resources into to marketing efforts to spread the word. Because uh, as I say, I don't, I don't, of those 8 million mountain bikers, how many of them know about IMBA, the International Mountain Biking Association? Um, not sure they all do, but certainly it would be a goal to, to get as many of them as possible to know about it. But where, where, where do you come across IMBA? Maybe someone will tell you about it, but if you think about uh, flipping through a magazine, you, you know, if you read closely, you might read about IMBA and your, your curiosity would be, peaked and, and you might do a little web search and then you find out about the organization. You can go to the website. Uh, so we need to introduce IMBA to a lot of people if we're going to grow, if we're going to grow the sport and, and grow our numbers. And if, if that were to happen, if we were to able to, if we were able to increase our membership a lot and we had more resources, we would want to put those resources into our policy and, and, and uh, access, you know, government relations, the national level, We'd want to put that money into trails and trail systems. And the, the most logical way I can think of is, is you know, money that could be leveraged then. Uh, if it's matching funds for a local chapter or a club, then they can get a grant for, you know, three, four or five times that amount to, to help build a, a great trail system. You know, that's, that's another great use of the funds. And then we can't ever lose sight of the educational piece and that's something that the, the chapters and the local organizations can help us with too. But as we get more and more mountain bikers uh, and new mountain bikers and younger mountain bikers, as we're seeing the sport trickle down to younger and younger kids, which is a phenomenal thing. It's, it's so great. We need to make sure that we instill the values of stewardship and respecting other trail users and, you know, being courteous and responsible riding. So, you know, policy and, and access, trails, actual trails all around the country and then, um, you know, advocacy or uh, education rather and responsible writing. Those are the areas that I believe we'll focus our efforts on. And I'd like to think we won't get too far outside of that. Uh, and I think a very focused IMBA is important to the future. Uh, I know it is especially so now as uh, we have less resources, we need to really be laser focused on just a few things. But even if we had unlimited resources, I'm not sure we would want to vary too far from those basic pillars of, of what we can offer mountain biking. So I think you've probably covered this in a few different ways, but since I posed this question in a recent article, I want to ask you as well, Dave, but what do you think IMBA needs to do to be successful? Is it mainly attracting more people or narrowing your focus as you've discussed, or is there something else as well? Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think the narrowed focus and, and really focusing on what's important to mountain bikers, we need, not that we haven't, but we need to become an organization of mountain bikers, an organization that mountain bikers are proud to be a part of. And so there has to be, we have to give them that reason why. IMBA is criticized, has been criticized in the past for sanitizing trails, um, you know, maybe not pursuing, you know, access in wilderness, a few things like that. Uh, it gets written about a lot. It gets read a lot. So we don't really control um, our messaging so much. But what I've found, especially since I've, I've got to meet some of uh, some of the Trail Solutions guys, we've got some of the most progressive builders and progressive writers anywhere. Uh, these just, um, you know, Tyson Swayze and Randy Spangler, 
um, a whole, the whole crew of guys that are just building, you know, phenomenal trails. And they're certainly anything but sanitized. I think the sanitized part, and we get we get accused of it around here too in Gunnison Trails, comes from uh, you know some of the trail maintenance work that we do. And you know, if you take a, an old eroded trail and, and you fix it up, it, it does become an easier trail to ride. And there's always a few riders that that like that old school sort of um, you know whatever the weather does to the trail and just leave it. It makes it harder. It makes it gnarlier. But, you know, the end game in that is, is a huge rut that nobody rides and people start riding around it. So I think that, uh, you know, that that part of, of what Imba's reputation is, is uh, is undeserved because Imba, you know, builds some phenomenal trails out there. And I, I do think it's important that, that this organization and they've done this, they, they're they're into all trails. They're into beginner trails, absolute, you know, simple, wide, smooth all the way up to you know some super gnarly stuff and everything in between, and that's important for I think everybody to just open their minds to is that not every trail was made for them in particular, and that we need to have that full spectrum represented so that uh, every mountain biker sort of has their place to to ride out there. Yeah, if I can jump in there, I have heard this this accusation of Imba sanitizing trails, so I decided to look into it about a year ago. Start a forum thread, start talking to people. I couldn't actually find any good examples of that. So my, my idea went nowhere. Imba built some beginner friendly trails, but is that sanitizing existing trail? No, you know, and if there's a trail that's eroded and isn't sustainable, is fixing to be sustainable sanitizing? Not that either, you know, generally when we talk about sanitizing trails, it's people taking obstacles out of a trail because it makes it challenging and it's, they're trying to make it easier and more accessible. And, uh, as far as I found, I think it's a pretty a pretty false accusation against Imba. So I just want to throw my two cents in there. No, th- thanks. I appreciate that. Um, but no, to be valuable to mountain bikers, we need to be part of, and I say part of, not Imba doesn't have to do this all on our own, but we need to be part of putting great mountain biking trails on the ground all across this country. And, you know, we have a, we have an arm of our organization called Trail Solutions and they do fine work. As I said earlier, there's a whole bunch of really good professional trail contractors out there. There are also clubs and organizations who have um, the experience and the, the leadership in their organizations to do great volunteer projects. So, um, if IMBA can just help foster that, and certainly in some places, maybe the, the IMBA involvement isn't great. In other places, it could be IMBA start to finish. But promoting and, and getting great trail riding on the, on the ground all across the country. Also, you know, working hard to make sure that we don't, you know, try not to lose any more trails that we already have access to or that we preserve lands where we might want future trails to happen and to, to work towards new trails. San Diego Mountain Biking Association was just telling me about a great system of trails on Forest Service lands in the Cleveland National Forest that uh, that they're working toward. I think it's somewhere in the area, maybe 25 or 30 miles or more of brand new trail uh, that will be open to mountain biking in that area. And, uh, you know, that's just one example. Uh, IMBA needs to, to, to be you know, part of every conversation that they can that pushes mountain biking forward in the the realm of places to ride and the trails that we ride on, because still there are places in the U.S. that don't have um, that don't have the trails. And you know, Benville, Arkansas, was a really interesting place to go to last uh, November for the the Imbo World Summit. And I don't know how many people I came across there that were that were locals to Bentonville. And I just asked them, uh, you know, how they came to start mountain biking, and they said, "Well, I, I never, you know, never thought about mountain biking." And then they they started building these trails. And I, you know, I saw a few mountain bikers and eventually I was interested enough to try a mountain bike. And, and now I'm hooked. And these were, these were, um, you know, diehard mountain bikers that wouldn't have ever become mountain bikers had a trail system not, um, you know, been built in their neighborhood. So that, I don't think that that's an anomaly. I think that, you know, any place around the country where we put in high quality trails for mountain biking, um, you know, people are going to start to ride. And what I'm really encouraged about is what's happening with NICA. And mountain biking just continues to get pushed further and further down uh, to younger and younger kids. And even when our kids were young, and now they're, they're 17 and 19, we couldn't find good bikes for the kids. They were heavy. They weren't geared right. The cranks were long. The brake levers were adult brake levers. Little hands couldn't use them. Now there's 
all kinds of great kids, kids bikes for every age and parents are putting their kids on strider. So, um, you know, I think the kids are the future of, of all cycling because those first bicycle experiences are now going to take place on the dirt. I think parents are just a little less, uh, comfortable letting their kids just go out and explore the world on the streets. Like a lot of us did, but they're going to be perfectly happy taking them when they're really young to a mountain bike playground on a strider or on their first pedal bike. And as those uh, kids become, you know, more and more experienced, they're going to, you know, wonder where that trail goes off to, even if it's, uh, you know, somewhere in the Midwest and it's only, you know, a few miles long, they're going to get that feeling of riding single track. And uh, so I, I think that uh, IMBA can be very relevant and help, you know, promote trail development and quality places to ride mountain bikes all across this country from those community trail systems, which are, you know, the bread and butter for most of us. It's where we ride most of the time to those great epic trails, the Sandy Ridges, you know, the Hartman Rocks, the Crested Buttes, Lake Tahoe's, places like that, uh, the iconic good stuff and, and everything in between. So we certainly don't want to ever focus solely on one type of riding. The full spectrum is, is important to us and we're just going to keep working toward it. It's too good of a sport, um, too, too valuable to too many people. And, uh, and, you know, mountain biking changes lives for the better. I truly believe that. If there's one thing you could ask our readers to do as we wrap up, what would it be? Well, <laughs> I, would, uh, I would ask everybody to, to keep the passion alive for mountain biking that I know is there. And, and maybe just, you know, try to get, try to understand a different viewpoint every now and then. And sometimes agree to disagree and keep it civil and, and drop back down to that point where, you know, we recognize that we're all mountain bikers at, at the base level. And, uh, you know, that, I think that's important and truly advocacy has taught me that when I first came in, I think I had the mountain biking blinders on a little bit. And as I, as I worked around here and worked with people and, and learned things and, and, and started my, my vision started to expand and I started to see things from other perspectives. And, uh, I think that's really important. You know, think of, think of, I, I encourage every mountain biker to go for a hike on a, on a trail that's busy with mountain bikers just to know what that what that's like. And it, it'll, it'll change your perspective just a little bit. But, um, you know, be a little bit more open. And, and, and you know what? We have places now which we didn't have before that are that we can really let our bikes go and, and we can ride hard. Uh, there's bike parks, there's directional trails. Uh, mountain bike optimized places that we can really get after it, but know also when you're on a multiple use trail at 10 a.m. on a Saturday morning, and there's you know families and equestrians and hikers and uh, all kinds of folks out there. There's a there's a there's a time to there's a time and a place. Uh, it's important to know when to say when, and and now more than ever we have those opportunities to do that. Um, but we also need to be respectful as there's more trail users all the time. Uh, trail use is is doing nothing but going up, and that's all categories: walkers, you know. Uh, mountain bikers, the whole nine. So just be respectful out there, have a lot of fun, and um, keep on pedaling. Well, Dave, thanks so much for taking some time to share your vision for IMBA, your vision for mountain biking, and some just great insights on where we're going from here. Stoked for the future. Thanks, Greg. All right. And we will uh, definitely continue to write about access issues on singletracks.com. It's something we are quite passionate about. Uh, Single Tracks also has been a longtime IMBA corporate sponsor and will continue to sponsor IMBA, continue to write about IMBA and uh, trail access issues around the nation and around the world. So for more on this, be sure to check out Single Tracks. Thanks for listening, guys. Peace.